0: And open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Our series is, The future is as bright as the promises of God. Acts 17, verse 1. And this is the Word of God. When they had passed through Amphipolis in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaimed, to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as there were a great many of the devout Greeks, not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd." When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And they taken money as security from Jason and the rest. They let them go. Then join me. The grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we are so glad that uh, your word is certain and it's true. And Father, we can forever depend upon your word. So Father, this morning, take from this passage and teach us your truth, we pray, about your son, Jesus Christ, about his love for us, about your call to us as his people. So help we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Surprising, really. You stop and think about it. Thessalonica is the capital city of the province of Macedonia. It's a large, bustling seaport city of some two hundred thousand people. It's located on the main road, uh, the uh, Ignatia, the Ignatia that leads to Rome. It's about hundred miles from Philippi. Uh, it's a three hundred sixty-five year old city. It's the center of the arts. Uh, and of uh, the trade. It's a cosmopolitan city with lots of Romans and a large Jewish population. So you'd think the arrival of a small traveling band of folks making their second stop in Europe would hardly be noticed in a city this size. Uh, with there's, there's no television, there's no radio, there's no internet, there's not even cell phones there. Um, uh, but that would be a worldly way of thinking. And it would mean a failure to grasp the greatness of our God and of his gospel. Why, God can turn our world upside down, even with a thunderstorm if he wants to. And so the charge was made about Paul and his companions. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That's that reality we want to zero in on today as we talk about why the future is as bright as the promises of God. So let's go to the text and see. First, look at the people God uses to turn the world upside down. Just read, now, when, they. Now, Jesus started his ministry with some unlikely people. There were four fishermen from Capernaum. And then he added to them uh, the most unpopular man in the city of Capernaum. And that was Matthew because he was the tax collector. Uh, Eventually, he added seven others. And when these disciples are described as a group in Acts chapter 4, they're called edu- uneducated common men. Not exactly the people perhaps you would choose uh to uh, to uh, at the forefront of such a great movement. And uh, they they referred to here includes at least three people as part of a team sent out from the Antioch Syria Presbyterian Church. Uh, one is the apostle Paul, He was once the world's greatest persecutor of Christians. His traveling companion is a man named Silas, and then a rather timid young man named Timothy. Now, how could these uh, three people turn a city the size of Thessalonica upside down in just three weeks? What's striking uh, are are the people that God uses in his church. And typically, there's nothing extraordinary about them. For the most part, they're just like you and me. Rather, the key is the God who works through them and work He does. Second, let's look at the method God uses to turn the world upside down. When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, that is the Messiah. It's interesting, Paul passed through two cities before he got to Thessalonica Had his eyes set on that. His strategy for the most part uh, was to go to the larger cities, not always, uh, but usually from which the gospel then go out to other cities. And so while the gospel was spread across the empire simply by Christians telling about Jesus, wherever it is they went, um, there is a place in missions for targeting particular cities, particular people groups with the gospel, which is what Paul does. When he goes to a new town, he always uses the same strategy. He goes directly to the synagogue with the gospel message if there is a synagogue. And with the number of Jews there are in Thessalonica, there certainly was. Now, why the synagogue? Really, two reasons. One's theological. uh, At least two reasons. One's theological. Paul believes that as the recipients of the promise of Messiah, the Jews should have the first privilege to hear about Messiah. to hear the gospel first. And practically speaking, he also knows that there will be among those Jews, those that some will be receptive to the gospel, because this is the audience that knows the Word of God. They know the promises of God. They know the Old Testament that Paul's preaching from. Also, at the synagogue, you're going to find Gentiles, non-Jews. We would think of them as seekers. And as a group in the New Testament, these people are often very responsive to the gospel. And clearly, they had a lot of them there in the synagogue in Thessalonica. And they were usually drawn by the worship of the Jews... Uh, worshiping just one God, and then a, a very strong morality. So he goes three straight Sabbaths, uh, and, and we see how he handles it. The th- three things stand out. First of all, he anchored everything he taught in the Scriptures. That was the key to reach the synagogue audience. They were people of the book at this point. Um, For instance, it's the same today. This is the key today. We reach people with the book, The Bible. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. That's not changed. We're committed to being a church, uh, being people of this book. We support and send out missionaries who proclaim this book. We will never win the world to Christ with self-help sermons. Never. We will win the world to Jesus with sermons that focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just pause and say this. When Moses' time on earth was over, uh, he made the departing statement uh, given in Deuteronomy 32, 46. Take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. This word is your very life. That's been my strong conviction across 47 years of preaching God's word. Uh, I made it my goal to, to try to follow Ezra's approach to the Word of God. Ezra 7.10 reminds us, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now, if you look at the job description they handed me 36 years ago, that pretty much is it. All right? Uh, and um, uh, I, I ask forgiveness for I failed to do it. not always made it clear, but that's always been the goal. And what I love is what Paul says in his first letter to the Thessalonians that that he later wrote, about how they received God's word. He said, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Please remember the power of God's word to work in us, to change us, to make us more like Jesus. Reading God's Word is, is so foundational to God working in our lives. Always stressed in the membership class, whether it's adults or children or youth, we need the Word of God. It's the foundation. We need Psalm 1 uh, rooting in the Word of God, people whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law, uh, they meditate day and night. Because we live in a Psalm 2 world where there's great opposition to the gospel, Uh A world is also in constant rebellion against God. In a world in which we know Christ will come triumph and he will reign. And so we must realize that that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Like Ezekiel and like John, we must eat the word of God. Have a steady diet of it. Now back to Acts. Commercial's over. All right. Uh, uh, Notice Luke writes that Paul explained and proved his message about Jesus, that he's the Christ. Now, Luke only uses that word explained one other time. He uses it over in, in, when, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples, and it says Jesus explained to them the gospel. Only other time uh, that he uses it. And so what, what we have in mind here is here a full-blown explanation, presentation taking it with the other word translated as, as, as proved, which means to, to set out in order and display something, we get that Paul has thoroughly gone over the gospel. He's gone through the Old Testament and pointed to Jesus. So with that methodology, what's the content? It's that Jesus is Messiah. And Messiah's coming turns the world upside down. Two main points Paul makes. The suffering of Jesus, where he's pointed to the cross of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Christ's death for our sins, dying in our place, taking our penalty, and his resurrection from the dead, validating his death for us who are sinners, giving us the hope of eternal life. Those are the key points of his teaching. He would later write the Corinthians, that the is of first importance but also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scripture that he was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so Paul presents them Jesus, and he calls him king. Of course, he's not like any king uh, they've ever had or heard about before. Here's a king who suffers uh, and identifies with his people. Here's a king who's who's willing to die for his people as God reaches out to them. He's a king who rises from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling the universe. He's no ordinary king. He's the king before whom one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, And if you're here today and you're not a believer yet, I would implore you to remember the words of Jim's song last Sunday and and, uh, and come to Jesus. Now, the impact God uses to turn the world upside down. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So the impact was the gospel gripped their hearts. Uh, You know, Judaism had taught... That eternal life, at this point, they were teaching, was was obtained by obedience. Paul taught it was a gift to those who trusted in Christ. Judaism taught that Messiah would overthrow the political order and establish a a new earthly kingdom. Paul taught that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. Some of the Jews did respond to the gospel. They were persuaded the gospel was true and they joined with Paul and Silas. And even more of the Gentiles, seekers responded. and That included some of the, the leading women in the city. So the gospel take, had a real foothold in Thessalonica. And then we read. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. You see, the gospel provokes a riot now how that happened we're told that the jews who did not respond to the gospel were were jealous now this is interesting response isn't it Uh, They'd carefully cultivated perhaps this group of gentile seekers they're waiting to bring them in and now paul's taken away a great number of them they've been grabbed with the gospel so what to do what would you do well they rented a mob and started to write with what our text calls wicked men of the rabble. Now, that sounds pretty bad, but i got to say, you know, the King James contributes some great phrases to us, uh, and this is my personal favorite of all of them, because they call them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. I, I mean, you got to love that. Certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Um, the message was so radical Because it threatens everything they've ever believed. It threatens the status they've achieved. And they do not want Paul's message proclaimed at all. And so their jealousy steps in and distorts their view of the truth. They set out to raise a ruckus. They put the city in an uproar. When they could not find them, verse 6, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Okay, this is 50 A.D. The previous year, the Emperor Claudius had, had expelled all the Jews from Rome following riots there that he blamed on the Jews and the Christians. And, and remember, the, the Romans tended to blame all their problems on the Jews and the Christians, much like people do today. And very likely, the Jewish opposition would have pointed this as a way to perhaps get rid of Paul. But they can't find him. But they don't care who they get. So they grab Jason and he'll be forced to send Paul away. But the key is to notice the charge. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also and Jason's received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Seer saying that there's another king, Jesus. Okay, blasphemy is the worst charge that you can make against a Jew. And treason is the worst cause you, charge you can make against a a Roman all right uh, and so what interests us is today particularly is our the opponents have made this proclamation is turning the world upside down This small group of missionaries is impacting a city of 200,000 people but not just that the whole world now friends that to encourage us You know, today while we're being marginalized as the church, while the culture is trying to shut down this book, can I tell you it cannot be done. God's word will triumph. But see, the the message of the gospel claims is always upside down. The meek shall inherit the earth. The greatest of all must be the servant of all. It's better to give than to receive. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's, it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The eternal God became a human. And the world responds by killing him. Yet after the eternal God man dies, he rises from the dead. See, everything, everything is upside down in the kingdom of God. Uh, and now they claim the message is turning the world upside down. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar had that that vision and interpretation of it? He saw a huge statue that represents all the kingdoms of this world. Uh, And then then a little small rock, a stone, not cut by human hands, that that represents the kingdom of God. Tiny little thing. And Daniel explains it. He says, You saw, O king, build a great image, the image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its its middle and thighs of bronze, its leg of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image of its its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. That's the church. That's the kingdom of God. And notice the response of the crowd when they heard that. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Let me tell you, the gospel message is a disturbing message because if Jesus is truly God, And he really did on the cross what he said he did. He died there for us. And he rose again from the dead. Then we have to respond to it. And if it's true and you've not yet responded to what God did for us in Jesus and and taking away our sin and our guilt at the cross, do so today. Because when you do, it's a game changer. And it's a world turner. You see, there was a radical change in these Thessalonians. You see, when you read Paul's letter to them, uh, we read part of that in our, in our declaration of truth this morning. These people are suddenly making an impact on the city because of what God was doing in their lives. These new Christians have turned away from idols, and their heart, hearts and lives are, are characterized by their work, and their love, and their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how do we keep that up? How do we? How do we? Be people like Paul and like the Thessalonians. How can we turn the world upside down? How do we do that? Clearly, God calls some to go out with the message like Paul. Some of us. Uh, but if, if, if we had time to read 1 Thessalonians today and, and get, do it, uh, we would notice that he does not commission all the Thessalonians as missionaries. Rather, when he writes them, Paul calls them to do several things. He mentioned briefly four of them. All right, uh, four ways you might say to live a Psalm one world and Psalm, uh, Psalm one life in a Psalm two world. One is he says, lead holy moral lives. There was almost no sexual morality in, in Rome culture. Uh, anything and everything went on. Chastity and the sanctity of marriage were considered unreasonable restrictions. And our world today has taken an unimaginable turn this last half century in imitation of Rome. And let's be clear. Paul says it directly in Thessalonians. The Gospel says to avoid sexual immorality. That is anything and everything outside the husband-wife marriage relationship. Stay away from it. Second, he says, live without fear of the future. First century pagans actually viewed death with horror. They, they, they didn't know what was out there. Uh, didn't know what the gods would do. Uh, Paul says Christians die with confidence. He tells the Thessalonians that. We can be certain about our hope. Third, we need to be aware that persecution is a reality, um, uh, but a futile one. The world thinks persecution will stop the gospel. History shows just the opposite. Even today, when persecution is greater and more widespread than at any point in history, make no mistake, it's coming here. But we will watch and see. It turns the world upside down. The blood of the martyrs will be the seed of the church until Jesus returns. Immersion J particularly, check out what's going on in Jaranwala, Pakistan. What's happened to the Christians there right now is just, just brutal. Then Paul says something surprising He doesn't call us to live epic lives. He doesn't call us to live high adventure. He does not call us to get on the zip line of life. All right? Rather, here's what he says. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, wow, that's radical, isn't it? Hardly a call for rabble-rousers. Now, will it work? Does that, does that work? Well, Paul later writes this about the Thessalonians. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. I'd call that a resounding yes. And if we're reading this correctly, and we are, by the way, all right, we can turn the world upside down not only by sending missionaries, a must, but also without leaving Chestnut Mountain, aspiring to live quiet, godly lives, ordered by God's Word and powered by His Spirit. So what about us? I love what Dan Meyer says in his introduction to the study of Acts. Let me just paraphrase. He says, it remains one of the great mysteries of history, a tiny circle of uneducated, politically disconnected, Socially out-of-step people, that's us, uh, overrun a Roman culture obsessed with entertainment, power, celebrity, and money. A small persecuted cult in a backwater corner of the world so penetrates the home life, workplaces, social life, and political systems of their day that their view of life eventually becomes the prevailing one. I mean, How do we explain the fact that against staggering opposition, the Church of Jesus Christ... Became the most civilization altering movement in all of history. And how does that story continue through us today? You see, the world is full of lewd fellows of the baser sort men and women, boys and girls that do not know Jesus. They can't help it. They don't know Jesus. And they are here in Chestnut Mountain and they're around the world. And without Jesus, they are absolutely doomed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We should to hear without telling someone telling them. How, how will that someone tell them unless they're sent? Friends, God does not send everybody. He does not send even most body, but he does send somebody. And, and each of us has to ask, is it me? And then God uses those who are not sent to, uh, still to turn the world upside down. One is senders. There's no way to wiggle out that obligation. But second, it's our lifestyles that must be different from the world. No, we're not to see how close we can to be to live like the world. We're not to try to... We're, we're rather, we're to try to make a difference being different from the world around us by following this book. To take to heart Paul's challenge to, to live leading quiet lives, impacting the people around us. That's a challenge for each one of us. In a world that, uh, that, that desperately needs to see something different, we must lead holy lives that avoid sexual morality, as Paul challenges Thessalonians. We're to be those who find our identity in Christ, not in our imagination and rebellion against our Creator. The postmodern world is a world that's all about power. That's what lies behind the great vocabulary power struggles of our day, such as pronouns and, and even the words mother and father, behind the transgender issue and so much more. But what Paul and and company found out in the first century, what they learned was following the way of Jesus, that's the way to true power. Living and proclaiming the word of God through serving, not intimidating, through love and not hatred. Our goals are different from the world's goals. We're not called to advance ourselves, but to advance the gospel. Our, Our call is different. It's not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of Jesus and to live in such a way that people see Jesus in us. And so the challenge we have remains the same as it has for 149 years. CMPC seeks to glorify and enjoy God forever by equipping God's people to become disciples who exalt God and engage His world. We want God to work through us to turn the world upside down with the gospel. He did it in the first century in Rome, and he can certainly do it today. That's our challenge. So remember the message of Revelation. God wins. All right, summed it up. As we watch God turn this world upside down, as Jesus, by his Spirit, carries out the ongoing ministry of, uh, uh, his ongoing ministry to the ends of the earth through his people, then I would say to us that the future is as bright as the promises of God. That to God be the glory, great things He's done. And friends, great things He will do. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the hope that's ours through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for His death and His resurrection. For His ascension, for His reign. So Father, we pray that uh, you, our lives would be guided by your word, Father, powered by your spirit. Such that, Father, some are called to go, Lord. Call people from this congregation, we pray. But, Lord, most of us are called to stay. Lord, help us to live lives that reflect Christ, we would ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.